0: hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. I am so glad that you are joining me today. This is the second part of a broadcast that we started yesterday, and we're talking about God is love. Now, I know that is a very broad subject, and uh, it's such a broad subject, there's no way that we can talk all about God's love in one or two broadcasts, but I'm just going to share with you 10 reasons why I know that God loves me. And I think that in our day and age, we have a misunderstanding of what God's love is, but let's talk about why I believe that he does love me. 1 John 4, verses 10 through 12 says this, Now this is love. Let's begin with that definition. What is love? It's not that I love God, it's God loves me. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So John continues by saying, Dear friends, because God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, this is valuable how this is put together, right? John doesn't tell us that we love other people because they're so great. He says, no, we love other people because God first loved us. And because God so loved us, we who are imperfect are being loved by a perfect God. If God who is perfect can love me, there's nobody... Imperfect that I cannot love because I also am am imperfect and I'm actually loving them with the love that God gave me. We also ought to love one another. We haven't seen God, John says, but if we love one another, God lives within us. How do I know God lives within me? Not because I get a quiver in my liver, not because I have a feeling that He loves me, uh, not because my God feels so real that I can feel Him. I know that God loves me because I love others. God lives in me as I love one another, and His love is made perfect in us. Wow. Now, that is quite the statement, these verses here, 1 John 4, 10 to 12. But I want you to know that there's something that will keep you from receiving that love. It's a short little word, pride. C.S. Lewis said, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. I spent over an hour yesterday talking to somebody, and I could not get through to this person. I got to the end of this conversation. I says, I feel like we have wasted our time. I said, I feel like neither of us have communicated well in this conversation, And I says, I think that pride has gotten in the way. Pride has kept us from seeing the reality of this situation. Pride is spelled P-R-I-D-E. Whenever I is in the middle, I am in a whole lot of trouble because pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Pride will ruin your life. And I'm not talking about the good kind of pride. There's good kind of pride, Right. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud of my wife. I'm proud of my children. I'm proud to be a grandfather. Now, that's a good kind of pride. Pride is when we worship something and we put it in the place of God. It becomes our driving force. The middle letter in pride is I, the middle letter in sin is I. Whenever I get in the middle of myself, I am in a world of trouble because I'm about to fall. So C.S. Lewis said the complete anti state of mind is. Pride, that ungodly type of pride. Well, yesterday we learned that I know that God loves me because he takes great delight in me. Zephaniah says that God actually sings songs over me. David says to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We learned, secondly, that not only does God delight in me, but he is devoted to me. Oh, I'm so glad that God is devoted to me because sometimes I'm not very devoted to Him. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor the future, nor any other powers, nor height or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, God has this devotion to us. He delights in us, and he is selfless in his affection for us. He is completely devoted to me, devoted to you. Now, listen, even if you reject him, it doesn't change his devotion to you. Uh, We're going to talk about the consequences of not receiving God's love, but it doesn't mean God stops loving you. It means that you have refused his love. Or Number three, I know that God loves me because he loved me first we love because he first loved me. In other words, he took the initiative so that I could love others and I could even love him. I couldn't love God if he didn't first love me. And then number four, I know that God loves me because he loves me forever. It's not a passing fad for him. You know, so many people have this infatuation for people and it's a fleeting infatuation and it doesn't last. It lasts 18 to 24 months and that'll be the end of that factuation. God loves me forever, not because I'm so lovable, but because He is so loving. And then number five, this is where we kind of left off the broadcast yesterday. I know that God loves me because He lavishes me with a family. John says this, 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. I don't know about you, but I find so much joy in family. God not only lavished me by saying that he loves me, and not only providing for my needs, he also places me in a family. He says, you are called the children of God, and he says, and that is exactly what we are. We're part of the children of God. We are part of the king's children. He is the one that has given us life, and he has lavished us with his love. This is a word that means to bestow or to expend much on us. You think about lavish spending. You think about a lavish lifestyle. That's how God lavishes his love on us, using great amounts. When I think about this, I think about the prodigal son and how the prodigal son wasted his inheritance. But then when he came to his senses, he went back home, and the father lavished him with affection. He went out and killed the fatted calf. He went out and had a celebration for this son who was lost, but now was found. And he didn't take this son back as a servant. He took him back as a son, welcomed him back into the family. Now, you think about the lavishness of this. He put a robe on his son. He put a ring on his son. He killed a fatted calf for his son. You know what that was a picture of? That was a picture of extravagance. The fatted calf was going to be able to feed a large number of people. They were going to have a a celebration. The father was holding nothing back to lavish his son with love. I know that God loves me because he lavishes me with his love. He lavishes me with a family. That's why the church is so important. You know, as I'm recording this broadcast, I I am just... uh, uh, we're kind of getting past some bad news, right? one of our deacons just passed away last night and and as I record this broadcast, I'm thinking about the love that I felt when I visited this family very late last night, very early this morning and spent some time with them and this young lady uh in her mid forties has lost her husband uh he died unexpectedly a a clot was was released and it and it took him took him home to be with the Lord. And as I walked into their home, I could feel the love within that group. There was a small group leaders were there. Uh, One of our elders was there and his wife was there. Uh, The mom and dad were there. The the daughter was there and uh, the sister was there. And as soon as I walked into that home, I could feel the love within that place, even though uh, they were going through a time of tremendous tragedy. They experienced God's love. It was lavished on them. You see, joy is found in our family. Joy is found in the family of God. Number six, I know that God loves me because he gave me life. Ephesians 2 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace. That you have been saved. This is called redeeming grace. This is much better than just common grace. Common grace is the grace that we all receive because we're part of the human family. Redeeming grace is the grace that we've received because we're part of God's family. He gave me life. His love is so great for me, His mercy is so great for me that He awakened me with Christ, He made me alive with Christ. Even though I was separated from him because of my sins, he saved me. He breathed into me new life through the Spirit of God. That's how much he loved me. He redeemed me. He bought me out of slavery. He bought me out of a sin-cursed life, a life of separation from Him, and He redeemed me. And I've never been quite the same again. Listen, if you had never been born again, I want you to know that He has given you life as well. You may be listening to me today and so, say, well, I don't know if I'm part of God's elect. But let me ask you a question. Do you love Jesus Christ? Will you receive the free gift of life that He has given to you? If you say yes... I believe I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus loves me and died on the cross for me, and that he rose again from the dead. If you believe that and you put your trust in it, guess what? You're a part of God's elect. As you're listening to me, that's a free gift. I guess it's kind of like me throwing a rope to you if you're drowning in the ocean or drowning in a lake. You've got to make a choice. Are you going to grab that rope or not? Now, that rope can't save you. Uh, the one pulling that rope is the one that's going to save you, but you've got to make a decision. Am I going to grab that rope? I think about the gift of everlasting life. It is a free gift. Now listen, if you decide, I don't want to receive this free gift, well, my heart would be broken for you. I'll be so saddened because I won't have the opportunity to see you in heaven. But if you decide not to receive that gift, that means you're not part of God's elect. You see, when it comes to election, God doesn't elect anybody to go to hell. He only elects those to go to heaven. And he, in his foreknowledge, knows how we will respond to the message of the gospel. But that doesn't interrupt our free will. He has given us a volition. He has given us a will. As a matter of fact, as you're listening to this radio station right now, you have a volition. You can continue to listen to it, or you can change the station. You can turn it up, or you can turn it down. You can choose to receive the message, or you can choose to reject the message. It doesn't change the message even if you turn it off or change stations, the message is still going out. The message isn't diminished. You're just not receiving it. As I think about the gift that God gives us, let's say I had a $100 bill in my pocket, and I were to say to you, here is $100. You can have this gift of salvation. You can have this $100 bill, right? Uh, that would go out and buy yourself a nice dinner, uh, take you and your spouse out for a, a lovely dinner. Uh, you have this opportunity to receive this gift. Now, when you get that gift, you say, now, wait a minute, are you going to give $100 to everybody? <laughs> you're not really concerned about that. Uh, maybe later on you will be, but you're looking at this $100 gift and says, man, I am so glad to receive this gift. God's salvation is made available to everybody. He has given me new life. That's why I know that He loves me. Number seven, I know that God loves me because He delivers me from something. He delivers me from fear. You know, the opposite of fear is love. The opposite of love is fear. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. In other words, where there is unconditional perfect love, the agape love, there cannot be fear. That perfect love drives out, forces out that fear. I guess it's like if I had a cup that was filled with air, and I fill it up with water. Water is going to force that air out of that cup. You cannot have it filled with water and air. You could have 50-50, but if it's 100% filled with water, if it's perfectly filled with water, It is no longer able to have air in that cup. Same is true with God's love. When I begin to be fearful in my life, it's because some of God's love I've allowed to leak out of me, and fear has taken up that vacuum. Fear has gone in its place. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. John says the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay, so I receive God's perfect love. And when I receive it, I am pushing out that punishment. I'm no longer afraid that I'm going to be chastised by God. I'm no longer afraid that he's going to punish me because he has taken my punishment. That perfect love has driven out that fear, and I am made perfect in love. That means not only do I no longer have fear, but it also means that I can love other people. That's what the love of God does for me. Well, number eight, I know that God loves me because he enables me to love others. There it is. No one has ever seen God, First John four twelve. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Okay, so because God loves me, I know I can love other people. Do you love people today or do you use people? To the extent that you love other people, that is the extent on which you have received God's love. Is there somebody that you don't love? Uh, Somebody you despise? Maybe it is a group of people that you despise. There's a part of your life that you have not received that perfect love from God. And until you receive that perfect love from God, you will always hold that little bit of hatred for other people, for another group of type of people maybe a sinner, maybe despise one sin over another. He said, I hate that person because they are living this way in that sin. Perfect love will drive out that holding back of love for that person. He enables me to love others. And then number nine, I really know that God loves me because he is the foundation of my life or he is the center of my life. In Ephesians chapter three, Paul is giving out a prayer and he's praying for the Ephesus believers, the believers in Ephesus. And and he says, I pray that you will be rooted and established in love. In other words, you have deep roots that are well established, that are firmly embedded in that soil, so that you will be able to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Christ. So Paul is praying, and his prayer is that if you will understand how much God loves you, if you put that at the foundation of your life, the love of Christ, you will discover that you are much more stable. You are established and you have roots. I think a lot of people lack stability today because God's love is not the foundation of their life. Their own personal love or their own personal satisfaction or their own personal feelings becomes the foundation of their life. When Jesus becomes the foundation of your life, you become filled with the goodness of God. You'll be able to experience that power of God working in us. Paul drives home that point over and over and over again, and he talks about the inner strength that he has because of the Spirit of God in his inner being. And when that is the foundation of your life, then you can comprehend just that measureless love that God has for us, and you can understand, and you actually get a glimpse about how much God loves us. You know, in 1855, Spurgeon said, would you lose your sorrows? Go plunge yourself into those sorrows. You can lose your sorrows when you lose yourself in the love of God. That's where you find the foundation of your life. Well, there's one final point that I've got to cover, and let me quickly review all 10 reasons why I believe that God loves me. Number one is he delights in me. I am the apple of his eye. Number two, he is devoted to me. He's going to stick with me no matter what. Nothing can separate me from his love. Number three, I know that God loves me because he took the first step. He loved me first. Number four, I know that God loves me because he said he's going to love me forever. And so I give thanks to the Lord because his love endures forever. He loved me before I was born. He loves me even after I die. His love endures forever. Number five. He lavishes me with love. He puts me into the family. He calls me part of God's family. That's what I am. I'm a child of the king. I am lavished with all the benefits of being a son who is born into royalty. Number six, he gave me life, everlasting life. It is because of the love of God and his great love for me, who is rich in mercy that I'm alive in Christ. I'm dead to my transgressions. I'm dead to my sin because I've been saved by the grace of God. That's how much he loved me. He gave me life. Number seven, I know that he loves me because he delivers me from fears. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And then number eight, he enables me to love others. Oh, I'm so thankful for this because I got to tell you something. I am not by nature one who loves other people. And if you want to be honest with yourself, I don't think you are either. I have the supernatural capacity to love others because God has supernaturally loved me. 1 John 4, 12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Number nine, his love is the foundation of my life. That is what my life is going to rest upon, the rock of Christ, right? All other foundations are sinking sand. I'm going to rest my life on the rock-solid love of Jesus Christ for me, and that's what's going to sustain me throughout the good days and the bad days of my life. And then number 10, I know that God loves me because his son died for me, and he died for you as well. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this. Than to lay one's life down for his friends. And then Paul says in Romans 5 8, God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, still captured by sin, still enslaved by sin, Christ died for us. You know, Americans admit to lying on a regular basis, especially on trivial matters. 91% of Americans admit they lie on a regular basis by saying things like, boy, that outfit looks great on you when really you don't think it does, or saying that meal tasted great when it really didn't taste all that great. 36% of these Americans that have admitted to lie, not only lie about trivial things, but 36% of them Tell big lies about important matters. Men lie more than women. Young men lie more than older men. The unemployed lie more than the employed. The poor lie more than the rich. Liberals lie more than conservatives. That's why I'm conservative, because I prefer conservative lies over liberal lies. You think about this 91% of Americans lying on a regular basis. Why did I bring that up? Because God will never lie to us. You see, lies oftentimes come from broken promises. But we have a Bible that is filled with promises. You know, the Bible has over 30,000 verses. And within these 30,000 verses, there are many promises. As a matter of fact, there are 7,480 promises that God has made in Numbers chapter 23, it says that God is not a man that he should lie. God has never promised anything that he can't carry out. As we look at where we are as Americans, maybe one of the biggest lies that we believe is that we are self-sufficient. As a matter of fact, I guess you could call this America's sin, that we take care of ourselves. We don't need anybody else. We don't need God to take care of us. If something's broken, we're going to fix it. If something's wrong, we're going to make it right. But in 1863, President Lincoln designated April the 30th of that year, 1863, as a national day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Let me just read a portion of the proclamation that he gave on that occasion. Abraham Lincoln said this It is the duty of nations as well as of men who owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and their transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with a short hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by a history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord the awful calamity of this civil war, which now desolates the land, and may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins. To the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people, we have been intoxicated. With unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. We have grown in numbers and wealth and power as no other nation has. But we have forgotten God. Listen, God is love. He's like, three questions I want to begin the broadcast with tomorrow. If God is love, why is there suffering? If God is love, why did he create hell? And why does he send people to hell? And, and if God is love, why are some of his followers so unloving? Or oh, join me tomorrow as we look at these three objections to the love of God. And let me ask you something. Have you experienced His love today? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I didn't ask you, do you know about Him? Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? And does He know you? If not, why not pray a simple prayer? Lord, I believe in You. I ask You to forgive me my sins. I ask You to come into my heart. And save my soul. If you pray that prayer, you're born again. Welcome to the family. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast.